Welcome to NFT for Two, a conversation with creatives. I'm your host, Lisa Lotito. I'm an art director and designer. After each episode, the crypto artist, a GN, will make two NFTs. The first will be a quote from the episode. The second will be an abstract work of art. Thanks for joining me. Let's dive in. Roland McHale is a painter, sculptor, and instructor at Pratt. He is also an artist-in-residence at the North American Sculpture Center and a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Roland welcomed me into his studio in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. The entryway opened onto his six-foot-tall painting entitled The Descent, which shows the musculature of various genders and ages climbing down a mountain. At the base of the piece was a bench full of airbrushing tools, which Roland uses to complete his paintings. Roland is the son of first-generation Egyptian immigrants, and he learned airbrushing at his father's auto body shop as a teenager. As we made our way out of his studio into the living room for the interview, we passed a floor-to-ceiling bookshelf spilling over with works by psychologists and poets. Roland picked up the book of essays, Consolations, by David White, and referred to it throughout our conversation. I began by asking Roland what he's thinking when he holds his airbrush in front of a blank canvas. I never start an image with the idea of I'm going to convey something. I always start an image with the idea that I'm going to find something out. It's not to be self-indulgent. My hope is that, you know, we, we both have arms and legs. And so there's a way that we're identical, you know. My hope is that I'm going to have a conversation with this other part of me that's goes down far enough that it's going to touch the same thing in you. So that's my that's my hope. Yeah, I want to leave room for myself not even to know. Why do you think some artists want to tell people how to feel? Is it about power? Is it about saying, you know, I, I want to be able to orchestrate <laughs> your reaction? Um, is it about control? Is it, is it about, I mean, what do you think leads some artists to kind of allow and hold space for other people's experiences in their work and some to have more of a, a monologue? All right, David White. David White's got the answer. So we're gonna we're gonna um, flip we're gonna flip through him. Well, he had this great one on ambition. Okay. Let me see. Ambition abstracts us from the underlying elemental nature of the creative conversation. The ease of having an ambition is that it can be explained to others. What is worthy of a life's dedication does not want to be known by us mm. in ways that diminish its actual sense of presence. Everything true to itself has its own secret language, surprising flow, even to the person who supposedly puts it all in motion. Mm. There you go. Even to the person who supposedly supposedly puts it all in motion. Diane Arbus has this quote that a photograph is a secret about a secret, and I've just I've just always loved that because there's a reverence for the fact that you are you're witnessing the process, and Mm -hmm. I think there's obviously a witnessing that happens with photography but i loved hearing you say that that happens in painting as well when it's your hand you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what medium you think you're working in if it's you know paint clay whatever it is the real medium that an artist works in is metaphor mm. but then the underlying 
um, the underlying idea uh, or premise, which is not my own, uh, is that um, <clears throat> metaphor is the language of the unconscious. It's the language of the psyche and the unconscious. It's the language that the psyche uses to talk to itself, to become aware, to become conscious. If um, <clears throat> I've been documenting my dreams for like eight years now, and yeah, if you've ever spent any time uh, documenting your dreams and trying to understand what the hell is in them, um, <laughs> you start to find out that yeah, there's like a genie in there making these unbelievably brilliant, just, yeah, it's like there's just genius in the the matrix of interwoven symbols and like the associations that come up in thoughts and feelings and ideas and experiences that you can't understand. They're just, it's, yeah, like a perfectly built city. You can't understand how it came out of your psyche so anyway for me that's the idea behind metaphor and so we have our own personal associations and then um you know Carl Jung added to that that along with our own personal associations and uh personal the the personal imagery of dreams there's the the ones that we all share in, com in common collective dreams yes Co collective, collective memory images. collective, collective images. metaphors yeah. because yeah because we have we all have arms and legs, you know, or something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Hearts and eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just speaks to your body. And then, yeah, we can use our intellects to start extracting a different kind of information. And it's useful. But those images that have that deep resonance, the the kinds of information that can be extracted and associated with the, with images kind of just goes on forever, you know? Yeah, and not not arbitrarily. Do you think that um, that we all carry around personal metaphors that repeat themselves, and we're we're just it's really just about discovering them? Hmm. Carl Jung did say that if a person were to watch their dreams for a long period of time, that like over the course of years, that they would start to notice themes reappearing. And that's definitely been my experience. I've learned it over the course of a couple of decades, but I've been immersed. It just goes really deep for me. It's, yeah, it's a language I'm very comfortable with, and that's my business. That's, that's, that's what I love. So the work is very much, I mean, this is kind of like a cliched thing, but it's a, it's a conversation, right? So it's not all just my unconscious. It's not just all of my subconscious, right? But there is a lot of yielding to it. And so I'm not interested in starting with something that I know about. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really... Even amongst artists, I think I'm pretty goddamn impractical. You wouldn't choose... <laughs> you certainly hear somebody else say that. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't choose, you wouldn't choose to work the way I would. Um, but I really... Uh, you mean I, from the airbrushing or just the amount of time that it takes? Yes. Or just... Yeah. Just um, what are we talking about in terms of time frames that people can understand why you, why you're why you are deeming yourself so impractical? Uh, so <laughs> I have two paintings back there that I think I started in 2016. Um, that mountain painting I started in 2018, and 
it's got a lot of work left. And yeah, the first the first batch of paintings that I finished in 2016, I painted over the course of six years, and my process has gotten more elaborate in the in the interim. And then I picked up stone carving, which is even more laborious. I painted, I I sculpted, um, I sculpted my first piece of marble from 2018 to 2000. Yeah, 2018 to 2020, and during many months of the pandemic, I worked on it six to seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Wow. Plus driving out to Long Island. So, yeah, they're very, everything I do is very, very laborious, and at the risk of sounding pretentious, I really see the work as um, it's in service to something. It's in service to something. I want to make something for other people. Yeah, it's in service to the psyche. So so that's the way it goes. That's why I spend so much time on the work. And that's why I don't get to dictate the, the outcomes and the time. And I don't get to dictate what I make exactly. But it is a conversation. There's times when I put the brakes on and say, uh-uh. So. You, I mean, you have to as an yeah. artist. It's not as frustrating as it was in the past, but yeah, it does come with its frustrations, and yeah, you kind of just learn to yield. Yeah, this thing isn't. Yeah, it doesn't come from here. It's not. Yeah, it's not for that. How do you, how do you kind of allow yourself and grant yourself that time, you know, that the work demands, when um, you're in a place like New York where it doesn't really get any faster, you yeah. know. My schedule is kind of set up around my work. Your schedule in teaching at, at Pratt? I, I teach, well, I teach two classes at Pratt. What do you teach there? I teach um, anatomy. I teach figure drawing. I, I get them to just pile that all up on one day. That's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. They're, they're five-hour classes. And then, you know, I'm in a union as a scenic artist. Yeah, I can get by with just working a couple months out of the year. I spent a long time kind of setting up my life so that... Yeah, so that I could... Protect your work. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my habits and routines are... are just built around paying attention. Just They're built so that I could just pay attention and bring a little bit more attention every day to what I'm doing. Yeah. What kinds of routines help you increase your, your attention? Last year I had a huge crisis uh, in attention. My personal life got a little sticky and I really my attention was just absolutely decimated and I read this great book um, called Peak Mind. It's interesting because she's a neuroscientist and she brought all this science around um, meditation. So um, I've meditated before but kind of yeah reading the science and having an explanation of what's going on it made me understand oh this is actually like exercise for your attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I meditate every day. Nothing crazy, but I just make sure I do it every day. I, yeah, just, just quiet time in the morning. A little reading, maybe some journaling. Just kind of making sure I'm connecting with myself and, yeah, not the apps or whatever else. Do you feel like you can connect to your work if you're disconnected from yourself? quality is different. The quality is different. Yeah. Seems like every six months I've been kind of doing a review of, 
kind of goal setting. For some of my goals, I should probably spend a little bit more time writing so I can understand what the hell's going on up here. It's a process. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ever-evolving um, process. But yeah, what I noticed is the, yeah, the really easy way I figured out that works for me is just to set a timer for 10 minutes mm -hmm. and just write. And um, yeah, what I noticed was that, yeah, those days that I do that, I feel a lot closer to the work when I sit down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to kind of work on my attention like it's the new medium that I'm going to learn how to do. Yeah, it's kind of the only the only thing that I have. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that, that attention crisis really... It's big. Yeah, it was valuable. Our, our, our craft de de demands so much dedication. Mm -hmm. And the same reservoir from which I create is the place from which I connect with people in my personal life and kind of give, give love. Mm -hmm. And so while I do think that the more love you give, the more you have to give, like I actually, I really do believe that. The love that I give to other people and the place, the, the energy that I have to make something come from the same source. And so I have to be deliberate about what I'm giving or the dynamics that I've entered into. This is why I asked you the question about does your connectedness to yourself affect your work? Because I have found that I used to be very compartmentalized and very disconnected in my early 20s. And the more work I've done on myself and psychologically or the more I've, I've worked on, on, on my art, the more synthesized things seem to be. And, and it happens in really surprising ways. I mean, there have been things that I've done. Like you were talking earlier about how you were airbrushing and you hated the airbrushing and the cars and the motorcycles that you did in your father's automotive um, business. And then now you're airbrushing and painting. Like th there are there are practices or there are themes or there are skills that I picked up that I thought, you know what, that doesn't feel like me anymore. But now I'm finding ways of, of synthesizing things. And I think a lot of the compartmentalization happened because of various decisions or traumas or, or places where I said, you know what, I want a hard stop on this part in my life and I want to I want to go to a different part of my life and I want to be a different person that doesn't deal with these things. And so all of that to say that as you synthesize, or I found that as I synthesize, if I get into dynamics that are sticky or challenging, it does affect the whole ecosystem of, of my life and of my work because it's now more synthesized, you know? Yeah. My friends kind of tease me that I would probably never go out <laughs> yeah and yeah I'm pretty lucky I've I have some great friends the relationships are very important to me definitely yeah. definitely so yeah I can also stay in the house for a long time <laughs> <laughs> so quarantine was your normal life it it's what you're feel, saying it didn't feel like a departure <laughs> it felt like I got to be more of my normal life yeah I really loved it for, for a few months, and then yeah, I hadn't touched another human being in like months, and I was like, oh, that God. was wild. Yeah. Well, especially since your work is so anatomical. I mean, did you start the sculpture in quarantine? No, I started it in two thousand eighteen. But once quarantine started, I was over at the. There's a place in Long Island where I carve. I was there every day. Yeah, I blew out both of my elbows. <laughs> You blew out both of your elbows? I was working too much with my hands. I was working every day, all day, and then my hands were swollen for months, yeah. Okay, what do you do they to... Claws. Is, do you just have, 
That I feel like that's a that's a rite of passage for sculptors. No, I yeah. can't imagine that sculptors. I, I mean, also, yeah, it's a lot of it is inexperience. So, I'm aware I was holding the tools pretty inefficiently. Mm-hmm. You know, as you get used to the tools, you hold them more lightly. Sure. Yeah, softly. Sure. What is it like to work with stone? Now, don't take this literally. It's just the clearest way I could say this. Okay, go but for it. I had the experience, and it's an experience I hadn't had before, that when I carved stone, I was like, I've done this before. Yeah, it just felt like I, I know this for some reason. So I told you the work that kind of became the beginning of the work I do. I started in 2010. And... Um, from like 2010 on, it's kind of changed more recently, but yeah, I, st- I stopped looking at painting. Not on purpose, I just, none of the work I took my inspiration from was painting, it was all stone sculpture. Um, and almost exclusively ancient and anonymous sculpture. Uh, stuff from all over Southeast Asia, stuff from Indonesia, India, there's some stuff in Java that I just really love. Cambodia, but yeah, especially Indonesia. Yeah, a lot of the like ancient Greek um, Greek work. So, and I mean, of course, I, Michelangelo I love. But the thought that I wanted to sculpt, yeah, it just started calling me. And you want to, we'll take it back to the dreams. Let's this, take this, it back to the dreams. This is pretty interesting. Um, okay. Uh, a friend, um, he was a friend that, uh, worked in the union with me and yeah I guess he gave me his I guess it was his personally I told him that I w- had been interested in it um, and he just gave me a bucket of some oil based clay and so it sat there for months now um, at that time I would work um, I would work three months on and then three months off typically and so <laughs> I had just gotten off a job and I was going to start a three-month period of working in the studio and when I started yeah I was like I'm really ready to go and kind of take it up a notch I want to like kind of take my work and what I'm doing in the studio to the next level and so I was really amped up and excited and I got into the studio and nothing I was just yeah there was yeah nothing was happening and I was having a conversation with a friend and yeah I blurted out this thing so I had had this dream with this kind of like punk rock character, kind of like a, an image of rebellion. At the time, I was a purple belt, and um, the figure in the dream, I was purple belt in jiu-jitsu, and the guy in the dream was a purple belt. So it was like, it was easy for me to go like, this is obviously me. The interesting thing about when I started doing jiu-jitsu, it was kind of like a rebellious thing to do for me because... I spend months and years making these paintings. I'm supposed to paint. I'm not supposed to be doing this other thing. Um, I empathize with that. It was very... I empathize yeah, with that. Yeah, it was not... Yeah. That's so how I feel about jujitsu, ballet sometimes. Yeah, jujitsu yeah. wasn't for anything. Well, it's for you. Exactly. But yeah. it wasn't for like anything that I could name or it wasn't for ambition well it's creative and it's psychological yeah. and it's yeah. physical and and you need those things as yes an but at that time i didn't even know that okay that stuff about it you know when right I, when i started it right so <clears throat> i blurted out this thing in this conversation i feel like i'm suffocating the punk rock guy from the dream 
and the question was asked, well, what does he want to do? And I was like, he wants to sculpt. And so within a few days, I opened up this thing of clay, and um, I sat down with this clay all fucking day long. I loved it. I was just immediately entranced. And honestly, it's so much easier for me to be engaged sculpting than just painting. I wow. Love, yeah, I really love it. Um, it has the same the same thing that I love about jujitsu, the the physical movement. Right. right. Yeah. And so yeah, the only reason I even put the clay down was because I it was like a soft um it was like a soft grade um, clay, and it was just like I couldn't work with it anymore. So then, within like a month or two, I was like, had this crazy idea that I was gonna carve stone, and I was like, <laughs> totally impractical. Have and also, so by the way, also sculpting was just like jujitsu. It was a totally impractical idea. It was like I make these paintings. I have to make these paintings. So it was really interesting. This never happens, but within like within a month of uh, within a month of deciding I was gonna um, uh, start stone carving, I basically thrown in my lap a place to do it. Um, there was a an artist from Italy. He's a very um, I guess as far as stone carvers go, he's pretty famous stone carver and he was uh at this place in line they kind of uh had him they were kind of trying to promote uh, a stone so they have relationships with different quarries and um he did a bunch of sculptures in this uh this marble from vermont so anyway uh i i met him kind of randomly he brought me over to this facility in long island where they let me carve so I was getting tools, everything kind of handed me. I think when you're called to do something, the path just is paved in front of you, always. Yeah. yeah. I love the medium. I just love it. So I, I love the actual material. And then um, the process. Yeah, I think it's a... I think it's a... It really fits my temperament. So... Um, with stone carving, I mean, it's noisy, it's, you're covered in dust, it's, yeah, it's like really physically uh, exhilarating, the, the, the noise, the, the, the sounds, everything, you know, and so there's an aspect of it that's super violent, you're breaking stone, you know, and then there's an aspect of it that's super delicate. And that's really, that's me. I have a giant hunk of stone that I've been trying to, there's been a bunch of holdups, but it's coming soon. Can yeah. you, can you tell me what's in this, what's in the stone? What are you trying, what are you trying to release from the marble? Like Michelangelo would say. The, this next sculpture? Yeah. Um, it's in, it's, I did a clay version of it. It's actually the very first piece of clay that I started messing around with, um, it's a it's a horse with an image of the sun on its tongue, but uh, it's kind of a frightened looking horse. I think maybe it's called Emissary, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. But I think I have some ideas for the stone that are gonna be kind of different 
than the original, and it's going to be a pretty. It's going to be larger than life. It's going. It's a. It's a big piece of stone. What yeah. kind of marble? It's Italian marble. It's um. Carrera. Uh yes, statuarial. Do you feel? Do you feel like you're transitioning from painting over into sculpting, or do you think that they feed into each other for you and? I also want to say I think it's cool that you let yourself go into other mediums. You know, I know it, it might feel like you're not doing what you're supposed to do by painting. Oh, but and, I think, and now I'm writing. I think it's great to, to give yourself that um, permission. I think it, it really goes along with the philosophy that I have about making things. You need your ego for it, but it can't be all ego-directed. Yeah, not if there's something to discover. But do I feel like I'm transitioning... Um, I could sculpt all day long. I could sculpt all day long, no problem. And um, I don't have the same ease in painting. It's been kind of one hold up after another for the last year with this piece of stone. And in the interim, I was like, well, there's paintings that need to get finished. And so I've gotten really drawn back into the painting and a way that I didn't quite expect and I actually I have oh there's a lot of new ideas coming up so I don't know we'll see we'll see what happens when I get my hand I'm I really want to carve again but also I'm so involved with what's going on here right now that I'm a little I'm a little hesitant to get back to it because I know once I do I'll be over there utterly the immersed yeah. yeah yeah and also yeah it just it needs it so yeah yeah super cool I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. To view the NFTs from this episode, visit us at nftfortwo.xyz. That's nftfor2.xyz. Thanks for listening, and until next time.